morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian Weber, and I'm one of the pastors at, at Grace Point, which is a sister church of uh, Restoration Church, and it's a pleasure for me to be here with, with you uh, today. Um, as uh, Keith had said earlier, uh, Ross and Emily and their family are, are, are visiting Ross's parents, uh, not in Minnesota, though. I think they went on vacation somewhere else uh, between here and there. And um, uh, so it's my pleasure to be with you uh, this week. And um, both of, of our churches, Restoration and Grace Point, we've been teaching the same um, sermon series during the month of, of December. And it's called A Changed Life, Confronting the Scrooge in, in Each of Us. And uh, what we've done is we, we've uh, uh, looked at the, the famous Christmas uh, uh, story written by Charles Dickens called A Christmas Carol and, and looked at uh, some of the, um, the Christian values that are in that story and compared them to what the Bible said, especially those, those values that are associated around the Christmas season. And we've taken, obviously, some creative liberties with that. The, the Christian faith isn't mentioned very much in Charles Dickens' novel, uh, but we've kind of considered, well, what if? Uh, what if uh, he did make those direct um, you know, uh, references to what the Bible says uh, about these, these values that are talked about both in that famous story that, that we see in the movies around this time of year, um, and the Christmas story uh, uh, that we see in the Bible about the coming of Jesus. And so uh, we've looked at a video clip uh, from each, of, uh, each week from, from part of the Christmas Carol, and uh, we've had a dramatic reading. Uh, Rick Cerucci was our, our guest reader for the weeks prior here, and today uh, he's, he's away this week, and so today we have another guest reader, and it will be Steve Weir. So would you watch this video clip? Uh, from Christmas morning in, in the Christmas Carol movie, and then Steve is going to follow it up with a reading. Good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Good to see you, Scrooge said as he ran through the streets. Having just visited his nephew's home, he was very excited about the newfound joy that he had. He returned home happy, joyful, giddy, even. Was this the same Scrooge that people encountered just the day before? What a day! What a Christmas! Wow! What a blessing! The, the Cratchits? Tiny Tim? Who would have thought that, that being generous could bring so much joy? Oh, Tiny Tim, that boy, I won't let him die. He won't die. With my help, I'll make sure he he lives. I'll help them to my dying day. Scrooge said. Scrooge said. Somewhat reflective, he, he paused. That, that old Scrooge is gone. Dead. Dead beneath that gravestone. I, Ebenezer Scrooge, am a new man. A new master to my staff. A new servant to all men. Yes. This day. This day, this day is the start of a new life for me, Ebenezer Scrooge. A life of giving, helping, serving others. I promise, I promise I will. I will keep Christmas well every day, all through the year. Christmas, Christmas. He clasped his hands. He was fidgeting. He, he didn't know what to do. He, he started thinking about what that meant. What did it mean to live Christmas? Well, all through the year. Every year. Every year I will, he said. I, 
don't, I don't know how or, or where. I'll, I'll find the strength to do it. But I will. He glanced around the room and, and realized quickly how, how dreary it was. It lacked the hope and the joy that he now felt in his heart. Seeing the world through, through new eyes and being disappointed at what he found in his own home. Scrooge looked to the mantle and found the Bible that was placed there. Ah, there you are. The good book. I, I said before that there was nothing you could offer me. That, that you were rubbish. And that I knew certain I was sick of seeing you. I, I was tired. I didn't need you. Excited is what promise and hope the good book might offer him. Scrooge took the book, sat in the chair. He flipped through the pages, hoping to find some words of hope, of joy, to validate his newfound heart. And he turned to a passage, and he read aloud the first verse that he found. <coughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Scrooge closed the book, satisfied at his seemingly lucky find. With a moment of pause, he stood, looked about his room, holding the book in his hands tightly, as though considering the notion of a new life, Scrooge said, a new creation. Thank you, Steve. You know, you don't, may not know this, but uh, those dramatic readings that Rick read in the previous weeks and Steve read this morning, he, Steve wrote all those. So we give him a hand. Yeah, I thought those were really good, okay? Great job, Steve. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, will you open to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19 is, uh, is going to be our text today. Ebenezer Scrooge makes a promise at the end of A Christmas Carol. He says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. It's uh, probably the most famous line in, in the whole story. Um, but, but what does it mean? You know, like... How does a person actually do that? And, and Charles Dickens finishes his story like this. He, he writes, Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. And he became as good a friend, as good a boss, and as good a man as the good old city knew or in the good old world. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. If any man alive possessed the knowledge May that be truly said of us and all of us. Scrooge knew how to keep Christmas well and keep it all the year. <laughs> but what does that mean? I mean, is Charles Dickens right? You know, should we pretend like it's Christmas all year long? Our sermon series is called Confronting the Scrooge Inside of Us, right? Do you have a little Scrooge inside of you? Has anybody ever accused you, you know, of that? My wife sometimes accuses me of that if it's December and I'm acting a little grumpy that day. Um, and so it's appropriate for us perhaps to ask 
uh, tough questions at Christmas time. And this is probably the scroogiest question that I could ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you ever get tired of Christmas? I mean, Christmas was just a couple days ago. Are you starting to think about maybe taking those Christmas lights down, those Christmas decorations down already? Have you very quickly gone to saying Happy New Year because you're tired of saying Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas? I mean, Christmas starts pretty early, doesn't it? I mean, it's at Thanksgiving, maybe even a few days before Thanksgiving, and you start to get bombarded with the Christmas music and the Christmas images and all the displays at the mall. And then there's that Andy Williams song that gets played over and over again. It says, it's the most wonderful time of the year when everybody's telling you be of good cheer. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't respond very well when people tell me that I'm supposed to be happy, you know. And, and sometimes that song, kinda, I kind of feel that way when I hear it. But is Christmas the happiest season of all? Maybe it is. But you can understand why some people might get tired of it by the time this, the end of December rolls around. Are you tired of the crowds at the mall? Are you weary of the Christmas songs, hearing them over and over again? Are you sick of being stuffed with, with Christmas cookies? Maybe you can't stand the pressure of appearing happy on the outside while on the inside you're hurting. Perhaps you've always secretly struggled with the Christmas season. And so what does it mean to keep Christmas all the year? And why would we even want to? And at times like this, I think it's, it's good for us to separate the, the meaning of Christmas from the way that our culture celebrates it. In the it, Christmas is really about how, how Jesus entered into the world to save the world. And the Bible tells us about a lot of people who, who met Jesus and then their lives were completely changed by him. And Zacchaeus is one of those characters. Now the story of Zacchaeus that we find in Luke chapter 19, it might seem like a, an odd story to, to read at Christmas time. But if, if Christmas is about the coming of Jesus then Zacchaeus provides for us an example of, of how a person responds to Jesus well. Zacchaeus represents how a person reacts to Jesus in a way that's pleasing to God and reflects a true relationship with God. And, and that in, in a way, Zacchaeus teaches us how to honor Christmas in our hearts and to keep it all the year. So uh, let's look at it together. I'll read it to you, and then we will go through the... The text, little by little. This is Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I want to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek 
and save the lost. Let's look at this text a little bit more closely. It starts with verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man by the name of Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem, and they take a route that takes them through the city of Jericho. And Jericho is precisely the kind of place that uh, Jesus would meet a character like Zacchaeus. Jericho was located on a major international highway uh, in in that time period in history. And um, so businessmen from around the world who were traveling from east to west or from west to east would go through Jericho, bringing all of their goods, which would always be for sale. And then Jericho itself was really famous for its balsam trees, from which they they, they gathered uh, the resin from the tree, Uh, which is that really sticky kind of sap. And then they made stuff out of it, um, including the famous balm of Gilead, where at that time was worth twice its weight in silver. And so what you had was some of the wealthiest people who lived in the entire country of Israel lived, some of them lived in Jericho. And so if you happened to be a tax collector in Jericho, you could make a lot of cash. And, And that's what Zacchaeus was. And he wasn't just an ordinary tax collector. It says here that he was a chief tax collector. He was, he was the top of his profession. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was wealthy. But he was perhaps also the most hated man in the city. You see, um, tax collectors were universally despised in that day. Uh, their job was to collect money for the Roman government. So they were considered traitors to their own people. And the way that they made their money was that they earned a commission on all of the tolls and taxes that they collected. And the Roman government didn't care how big the commission was, just so that they got the money that they were supposed to get. So, um, so tax collectors notoriously would, would raise the rates whenever they could, or they would just make up imaginary fees. And the people couldn't do anything about it. Because if they refused to pay the tax that the tax collector said they had to pay, then the police would come and throw them in prison even if the people knew it was a made-up tax. And so robbers, murderers, and tax collectors were always mentioned in the same sentence with each other. And here is Zacchaeus, and he is like almost like a cartoon character. Uh, It it tells us what his name is, and that's not very common. We don't know the names of all the characters in, in, in the Bible. And here it says Zacchaeus, why? Well, Zacchaeus' name means righteous and pure. Can you imagine what the people said about him? Here comes that Zacchaeus man, you know, that lying, cheating, righteous dude, right? And then he's short. And this probably made the, the people laugh at him and hate him even more because his, his smallness reminded everybody that he was short of character, that he was a sellout, that, that he didn't have enough courage to get a respectable job, even if it made made less money. And maybe Charles Dickens was thinking about Zacchaeus when he created the character Ebenezer Scrooge because they're very similar kinds of characters. Zacchaeus was obsessed with greed. He made himself an outcast in his community. And this is how Dickens describes Scrooge. And and so I I wanted you to listen to this. I I took a paragraph out of the uh, Christmas Carol and I took Ebenezer Scrooge's name out, and I put Zacchaeus' name in. Listen to, to what, it's, what it sounds like. 
He was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, that Zacchaeus. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. He was secret and self-contained, as solitary as an oyster. Nobody ever stopped him in the street with a smile to say, My dear Zacchaeus, how are you? No beggars asked him for spare change. No children asked him what time it was. No man or woman ever once in all his life asked him for directions. Not old Zacchaeus. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming, they would tug their owners to walk on the other side of the street. But what did Zacchaeus care? It was the very thing he liked. Well, at least he pretended to like it, because the text shows us that something else was going on inside of Zacchaeus' heart, because it says here in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus is wealthy, but he's not happy. You know, maybe he's lonely because he chose a profession that makes him an outcast in his community. And here comes Jesus. And Zacchaeus... It seems that he's heard about Jesus before. Perhaps he's heard that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Maybe that's what Zacchaeus feels like he needs right now. Because he is determined to see Jesus. It says here he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. I mean, this just shows how desperate he is. Climbing a tree is what children did. It's not an honorable thing for a public official to do. But, you know, at this point, it seems that Zacchaeus doesn't care about being laughed at. He is a man on a mission. It says he wants to see who Jesus was. Not just see him, to see who he was. Is he really like that? Is he really as good as everybody says he is? And then in verse 5, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So in this part of the episode, Jesus makes a surprise move. You know, up to this point, when we're reading the account here, we we think that it's Zacchaeus who's on a mission to see Jesus, but now we see that it was Jesus who was on a mission to see Zacchaeus, as if that's what he was planning to do all along. He comes right up to that tree. He knows it's Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. He asks him to come down. It was part of his divine mission. He wants to save Zacchaeus' soul. And so he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And can you imagine what this does for him? I mean, Zacchaeus is an outcast in his community, but he's accepted by Jesus. And this is how the Gospel of John talks about Christmas. In John chapter 1, verse 9 and following, it says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So somehow in the crowd that day, Zacchaeus sees Jesus for who he really is. That, that he is the Savior, who is the Messiah, who, who has come to the world in order to save the world. And in the crowd that day, Jesus sees Zacchaeus for who he really is. He's not an outcast anymore. He is a believer and he is a child of God. And what happens next? Well, here Zacchaeus responds to Jesus in a way that shows the whole community that he is a changed man. And in this way, Zacchaeus is also an example for us about how any believer can respond to Jesus in a way that pleases God. And so I want to show you three things that Zacchaeus does here in the next few verses. First, you know, this is how, how does Zacchaeus respond to Jesus? Well, first... He welcomes Jesus with joy. It says in verse 6, He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And I, I like the way that the uh, King James Version puts it. it. It says, He made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Now Zacchaeus isn't the first person who responds to Jesus with joy. That privilege belongs to the shepherds in, in the Christmas story. And Luke tells us about the shepherds, and he also tells us about Zacchaeus, and he uses the same words to, re to talk about both of them. Listen to how uh, Luke describes the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Here's a couple verses from that section. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so they hurried off, they made haste, you know, and they, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. How about you? Would people describe you as joyful? There's an Australian woman who uh, runs a the women's ministry in her church, and uh, she writes uh, an article on the, on the internet, and I, this is what it said last week. She writes, this doesn't mean that Christians are rosy-eyed Pollyannas who wear pasted-on fake smiles all the time. This doesn't even necessarily mean that we feel happy all of the time, but there's a joy in Christ that's deep and lasting and real, and others should see it. Think about it. God has freely forgiven our multitudes of sins, adopted us as his own children, and, giving, and given us the hope of eternal life. His mercies are new every morning, and he has promised to never stop doing good to us. Are you feeling joyful yet? I hope you're at least smiling a little. The Welsh pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said, Christians must live joyfully so that others will be compelled to say, would to God that I could be like that. Would to God that I could live in this world and go through this world as that person does. So let's ask Jesus for that kind of joy, huh? 
Let's ask him to fill us with joy, and not just as a, at Christmas time, but, but all year long. How does Zacchaeus respond to Jesus? Well, first, he welcomes Jesus with joy, and second, he is generous to the poor. He, this is what it says in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be, that's Jesus, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. See, the, the crowd is offended that Jesus goes to stay with Zacchaeus. You know, they, they like Jesus for the crowds, that is. The crowds like Jesus for his miracles, but, you know, they're not, they're not too thrilled about his choice of friends. You know, they, they just don't get Jesus. They don't understand his mission, what he's trying to do here. But Jesus doesn't answer for himself. Zacchaeus answers for Jesus. You know, he hears the mutterings that are going around. So he stands up in front of everybody as their witnesses, and he looks at Jesus and he says, Here, Jesus, I'm going to make you a promise. Right here and now, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. Can you imagine that? I mean, what would it take for you right now to give half of everything that you own for like a homeless ministry or something? I mean, that's unbelievable. And it's exactly what Zacchaeus does. In response to meeting Jesus, he gives away his wealth to the poor. And many times in the Bible, the, the scriptures teach us that we should be compassionate towards people who are less fortunate than us. And there are always, Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you. I mean, there's always there are going to be people, no matter how much we struggle, there's always going to be people around us who are struggling more people that we can be kind towards, that we can have compassion for, that we can be generous toward. And there's going to be times in our lives when we are the ones that are struggling, and there are folks that will be compassionate towards us. And Jesus was the best example. He left the riches of heaven to be born in a stable so that we might gain eternal life. And for this reason, Christians have made a habit during the Christmas season to be generous to charities and that help the poor and needy. You know, in, in London this year, there is a homeless ministry, and they had 9,000 volunteers sign up to work on Christmas Day just a couple days ago. But in the article that I read about it, it said that during the year, they have trouble finding volunteers you know, during the, the rest of the year. And it's good for us to be reminded about um, the work that some of the charities around us do, not just, you know, at Christmas time, but, but all year long. Uh, for example, um, the Salvation Army, uh, there's, is, uh, there's a Salvation Army in Levittown here, and, um, you know, in the Christmas season up at, at Grace Point for the last several years, uh, we have um, helped them with their... Uh, angel tree program, which um, you can see a picture of a tree there in the, in the, down in one of the blocks. It, it's filled with tags, and people take tags, and there's gifts, and then people go and they buy the gifts, and they give them to the, the Salvation Army, and the Salvation Army distributes the gifts to families uh, so that children can have Christ, uh, uh, presents at, at Christmas time. And, and it's something we've done. It's very uh, almost iconic to give 
to the Salvation Army at Christmas time. You see, like, Santa Claus ringing a bell, you know, with a little red pot, and you put, people put change in. But why? why? Why do that? Like, just as an example, you know, what does the Salvation Army do the rest of the year? Well, did you know that the Salvation Army Community Center in Levittown has been serving Bucks County since 1898? And the center has many social service programs, including a food pantry, rent and utility assistance, and vouchers for clothing and household items. They have emergency relief services, which help people with floods, fires, and other natural disasters. The center also serves children and youth through after-school programs, summer camps, youth sports leagues, music lessons, dance, and drama. They have a chapel on site that offers worship services, Bible studies, and other church programs. And as a charitable organization, like all other ones, they're dependent on on donations and volunteers all year long to do these things, not just at Christmas. And so it's a helpful reminder to us that generosity is not just for Christmas, it's for life. And how do we practice compassion and generosity, not just at Christmas time, but at all, all year long? So how does Zacchaeus respond to Jesus? First, he welcomes Jesus with joy. Second, he is generous to the poor. And third, he makes right his previous wrongs. Zacchaeus continues in verse 8. He says, And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is going to be a significant piece of work for Zacchaeus. I mean, he made a living out of lying and cheating people out of their money. And here he says, now I'm a, as a believer in Jesus, he, he wants to make things, the wrong things he did, he wants to make them right. And he promises here that he is going to give back four times the amount that he stole from anybody. And the people that were in the crowds that day, they would know how amazing this is, you know, because uh, the Old Testament law only required that people pay back what they stole plus 20%. So here he's promising to pay back 400% of what he stole. He he promises to do way more than the law requires of him because he wants to show everybody who's present there that day that he is a changed man. What wrongs do you need to set right? Have you hurt someone's feelings? Have you treated someone poorly? Does that anyone have anything against you? you know, during the Christmas season is a great time to go and seek people and ask them for forgiveness because, you know, generally speaking, people are, are merciful in spirit. During, it's a happier time of the year, and they, they tend to be much more forgiving. And so you can go and set things right. Set the record straight, and then then you can start a habit of asking for forgiveness immediately whenever you do something wrong, because we are humans, and we act selfishly. Romans 12, verse 18, it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then the story ends with Jesus saying these 
great words. He says in verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, faith isn't, isn't expressed, you know, emphatically in this, in this, uh, this story here, but, but Zacchaeus' actions prove that he is a believer, that he has been changed by God. And so when, when Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, it, it proves that Zacchaeus has been forgiven by God. And, and we, must be, um, we must be careful how we understand the word lost, like it appears here in this text. The word lost in the Bible does not mean unwanted or condemned or unloved. It just means out of place. I mean, think about it. When you lose something, right, it's just, it's not where it is. And so you go looking for it, and when you find the thing that's out of place, you bring it back and you put it back where it belongs. So when a person is lost, he's wandered away from God. All people belong in a right relationship with God. But sometimes we wander off and we're out of place. But when a person is found and brought back to where he belongs, back into a right relationship with God, that is a reason to celebrate. Zacchaeus was lost. He had wandered away from God. He had, had, had made a living out of lying and, and cheating people. He, he was an outcast in the, in the community, but Jesus found him. And this is the reason why Jesus came into the world, to seek and to save the lost. And this is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus is our gift of salvation. And so Ebenezer Scrooge says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. How do we do that? Well, I would suggest that we would respond to Jesus like Zacchaeus does and do it all year long. We should celebrate the gift of salvation. And how does Zacchaeus do it? Well, first, he welcomes Jesus with joy. Second, he is generous to the poor. And third, he makes right his previous wrongs. You know what's interesting about the Christmas carol story is these are exactly the things that Ebenezer Scrooge does on Christmas morning. You know, he wakes up in the morning, and he thinks he's, he's missed Christmas. So he runs to the window, and he finds out it's still Christmas Day. And, and when he does, he famously says, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as giddy as a schoolboy. A Merry Christmas to everybody, right? And then he, he runs out, and he's walking about on the street, and he sees the charity man. It's the same guy that he kicked out of his office a few days before. And when he sees him, he whispers in the man's ear and promises to make a large donation to the poor children in the city. And so he's joyful and he's generous, and then he wants to make right his previous wrongs. He knows that he's been a terrible boss to his employee, Bob Cratchit. So the first thing the next morning, he brings Bob into his office and he promises to give him a raise. Now, why, why would you think that Charles Dickens, why do you suppose that he would think that this was an appropriate way to respond to Christmas? Well, perhaps he knew, as we do, that at Christmas we celebrate the coming of Jesus. 
And these are the characteristics of people whose lives have been changed through a relationship, a right relationship with Jesus Christ. In the Bible, the author of Hebrew asks, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? My encouragement to you is that we never neglect the gift of salvation. But rather, let's celebrate the meaning of Christmas, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And may it be said of us that we know how to treat people with joy, generosity, and mercy. And not just at Christmas, but all year long. Amen? Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what Christmas means to us. We thank you for Jesus, for sending him to, to live a, a, a life that, that taught us about you because he was the, the embodiment of you in, in human flesh. We thank you for what he did when, when, when he grew up to be a man, to die on the cross, to, to bear the the penalty and the weight of our wrongdoing so, so that we don't have to. And three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering the power of death and, and making it possible for all of us who have faith to, to have a good and right relationship with you and to sp spend eternity in heaven someday. We just thank you, Lord, for what that means for us. And we pray, God, that you would help us to, to demonstrate how that changes our lives all year long, that we would be joyful people, that, that we would be generous towards others, that, that we would be quick to ask for forgiveness and that we would offer it freely and mercifully to others. And God, I pray this morning for anybody in this room who has never taken that first step to place their faith in you for the very first time. And I pray, Lord, that where they're sitting right now, perhaps they want to. Perhaps they want to start that relationship with you that we see that Zacchaeus did in, his, in the story. We thank you for the example of Zacchaeus that teaches us that it's never too late for anyone to change. And so if there's anyone like that in the room today, I invite you to pray a prayer like this one after me. God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I know there's nothing I can do on my own to make it right. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. Will you please forgive me and become the Lord of my life? And help me by your strength to follow you all the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How are we closing the service? Do we have uh, any further announcements or anything? No? Then we are done. Okay. Will you stand and receive the benediction? May you go from this place today filled with the joy of, of, of the Christmas season. May it be something that lives within you. 
because we know of the hope that we have through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may it be something that's in your life that's so vibrant in your life that others will see it and will also will want it to. Go in peace.